0: And so it's from that, uh, that we go into uh, step eight, which is to persevere in the new life and identity to which God has called us. Uh, This is where the road becomes long more than steep. You know, maybe when you were beginning this journey, it felt like depression and anxiety was climbing a mountain, and every step the legs were burning as we were churning, trying to go straight up, trying to get over this. And and when you get to this point in the journey, and just because we got to this point in the verbal presentation does not mean you're at this point in your journey, but when you get to this point in your journey, you look at it, and it's not necessarily straight up, but it still feels long. It still feels like we're walking the long road with God. How do we do that? Um, And this is where we talk about the the new normal. Um, And Leslie Varenick, she says, lasting change doesn't occur in leaps, but in tiny, fateful steps. The choices that we make that we believe do matter. Small changes can make a big difference. Sometimes the pain of change makes us forget our former misery and we revert to previous habits to feel better. That's why I think it's important for us to go I think writing this journey out, going through it like this and with friends, Because there's going to be certain points that you come to where life begins to feel better and some of those things that you were doing that accommodated and allowed uh, depression and anxiety to be a roommate instead of a house guest. Some of those things won't seem quite so bad when you're further down the road. And having a record of that allows you to go, Nah, uh nope, not doing that. Um, and, And to have that firmer perspective on it. Now as we talk about some of the marks of the new normal, these aren't things that I want you to do. These are markers of encouragement that as you see them happening, you should be able to say, ah, this is working. This is going well. And those things that aren't happening, you can pray for. Think about this part of the talk, like when you talk to your kids about puberty. You don't talk to your kids about puberty so you go, start growing hair in weird places and let your voice crack now, go! Now, why you do that? You have that talk so that as those things happen, they don't feel weird about it. And so as we talk about the new normal, and this isn't what we've known before, and we go, ah, new has never been good. This has always been kind of bad. Is this good? Ah, this is good. We, we mark these kinds of things out so that, so that we can see it that way. And so one of the things is, uh, we can treasure the lessons we've learned from our depression and anxiety. Again, I think that's part of the value of a written study. We can, we can mark those things out so that we can value them. Our energy levels return to normal. Depression and anxiety is exhausting. Physically, it is exhausting. It, my picture, uh, and there is biological evidence to go with this picture. It's not just a, a funny picture. Depression and anxiety is like when my wife turns on the hair dryer in the bathroom and all the lights dim. There is a power surge that goes into the hair dryer that has to come from somewhere. The churning effect of depression and anxiety requires energy that has to come from somewhere. Usually that's our immune system. It's why we get sick more when that goes on. But it's exhausting. And as we overcome that, those energy reserves don't have to go there anymore. Decision making becomes easier. I mean, think about how much your mood, your level of hope, and how long your perspective is how far down the road you can think how much do those things impact your decision making when your mood is low when your level of hope is low when your perspective is just right here and i can't get out of this moment decision making is really hard when your level of hope rises uh, when your perspective elongates a little bit there's a sense of which you can make decisions and it's not quite as daunting um, your appetite and sleep cycle return to normal. Uh, food and sleep are no longer used as a distraction, um, but they're a choice. They're something that you do to enjoy and steward life, not just one of those things that gets me through another segment of my day. You're able to enjoy time alone, you're not afraid to be alone with your own thoughts. Um, At this point, solitude is not isolation. Solitude is one of those spiritual disciplines that people have talked about a lot that can be a really spiritually nourishing thing. In the midst of depression and anxiety, yeah, we can't enjoy that because it's isolation, we get along with our thoughts, and that's scary. We can begin to enjoy that again. You begin looking forward to events. Uh, I would say you have a good relationship with the past. You can learn from it, and the future. Uh, you can plan for it and anticipate it in ways that are good. Uh, and as we that new normal, we have a good relationship with the past and the future. Uh, we use our emotions to comfort others. This is where the stigma really begins to remove. You know, before I hid my emotions, I didn't want anybody to see them. I didn't want anybody to know about them. Now, they're on the table. Not that I've got to share them with everybody all the time. But whenever these would be useful for encouraging somebody else, they're they're on the table. Whenever sharing this would allow somebody else to meaningfully encourage me, I can share those. They're on the table. That's a radically different relationship with your emotions. The freedom to worship returns. And hopefully this isn't just kind of I have happy moments when I feel good raising my hand and singing with tears coming down. This is the ability to sense God's presence and enjoy Him across the full emotional register. That I can sense God is there even when it is down. And He says, I will never leave you and forsake you. And I can savor that even if I don't feel like standing up and as other people sing and I know what they're saying is true. I just need to sit with God and allow people to sing that over me because I don't... I'm I'm struggling, but I can... That freedom to worship and not feel like a hypocrite for doing that is stronger. New relationships are built. Both because I'm engaging life in more ways and because more of me is available to develop those relationships as I go through it. Again, I can experience peace even during emotional low. I can be sad and not get stuck. I can be afraid and not freeze. I I see those little bumps and I don't quite get scared like I used to because I, I trust that I can go through those things. And you appreciate your growth because of what you've been through. And this is where I would say you haven't just learned, you've grown. You know, when it comes to that example of my oldest son in football, he didn't just learn something. You know, this whole lesson of you got to go up against somebody big if you want to get better. He didn't just learn something. He grew. There was an aspect in which he became more of a young man as a result of that. And it wasn't just cognitive information that he gained. Uh, Side note, as a parent, I want to be involved in my boy's life enough that when those moments happen, I am pointing out those moments of becoming from a boy to a man so that they don't have to impress other people to get artificial affirmation of that. I want to be the one pointing those things out even during the hard times of, yes, he cried and he got knocked down and I told that in front of a bunch of people and it's going to embarrass him when he gets older. Yes, all of that. But that was not a moment when a mark of maturity happened. That needed to be celebrated. It was more than a cognitive lesson. It was a mark of maturity. Now. i give you a spot here to write your story. Where you go back through those same questions. We were asking uh, in step six. And this is where you just put. This is how I used to articulate it. That didn't fit in that. And this is the way that I'm really beginning. To honestly authentically see it now. Because I want you to capture. And crystallize that gospel story. Um. Yet, uh, in terms of preparing for the transition, uh, if you've gone through this study in a counseling relationship or a formal mentoring relationship, there's some things that we advocate that you do at this stage in your journey. Be sure you're in a small group. Um, Learn accountability and encouragement on a broader scale. Have a plan uh, for future study. If you go through this in a very structured way, uh, then there's going to be a period where you have a lot of structure. Now, here's kind of what I advocate for coming out of a setting like this, uh, is that the first time you go through it, it's just kind of verbal overview. That's what we've done is we've kind of said this is a resource and a journey. This is what it would look like to take it. And we've, we've done that very quick and broad brush strokes. And, uh, that's what's happening is people go through it on video. I would advise they kind of go through the whole thing. If you walk through somebody else with this and they go, how do I use the video? I'd say watch each of the videos to overview it first. Then come back in that larger notebook that you can request uh, by emailing Amy. Her uh, email address is at the front of the notebook. Just read it like a book. Go through it a second time. Don't try to do every um, journaling exercise. Don't try to go through every uh, Bible study and devotional. Uh, But just kind of read it like a book and get... Because uh, there's more there than what I've said here. And then then go through it and do the different Bible studies and elements and go through uh, and begin to make it your own. Uh, you don't have to do it that way. Uh, it's just a way that I recommend. Uh, and then make a formal transition plan if you're going through this as a part of a larger study. Uh, and that would just be one of the things that you need to be sure in place before you graduate. Uh, and what would be those yellow flags? Don't wait for the red flags. One of the signs that you're ready to graduate from counseling or from a formal mentoring relationship is that things don't have to be that bad again before you reach out for help. If things have to be that bad before you reach out to help, you have let things get to crisis stage. A big reason why we do these in public forums is because in the context of a church, we want people connecting with one another before things get to be that bad. Because once things get to be that bad, you really feel like you need a counselor and to go through with somebody with advanced degrees on that. But most anything that gets to a crisis stage, if you just let a friend into that at an earlier point in the journey, and you've got a good resource to help you walk through that, great growth and progress is going to happen. And the biggest impact of something like this is not the kind of formal counseling relationships that we arrange out of it. It's the kind of friendships that begin to develop and people have honest, authentic conversations about these things.